room in hell. The dead will walk here. The blackest eyes. The devil's eyes. Thanks for tuning in to Body Count, the podcast for theblackesteyes.com. My name is Philip, and on the line with me is Scott and Danny. And we are three friends who like horror movies. And we are very glad that you have joined us on this edition of Body Count. Guys, what's going on? Were you, were you all watching President Trump get sworn in today? Well, I was uh, in a faculty meeting while that was happening, but I, I've been watching the recaps on PBS since since it ended. Yeah, I missed it. I was working, but, uh, you know, watched the news coverage afterwards and and uh, saw, I think I've heard most of the speech. Yeah, watched a little bit of it with my children and it was really fun watching it with them. They just were asking so many questions and were pretty amazed um, by the whole by the whole process. And I think it's pretty special, you know, politics aside, it's just such a neat, special um, time in the life uh, of our country. My uh, son came in from school and said that his uh, they watched it. They went in the gym and watched it, and he came back to a second grade classroom and. Uh, one of his classmates said to the teacher, Trump said he wouldn't let us down. And his second grade math teacher said, all presidents let us down. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's starting them young with the cynicism. Well, we're here to talk about horror movies, not American politics. So I thought we would move in to that with our segment for tonight, which is Creature Features. They Today we're going to talk about home invasion movies, and there's a couple that we want to talk about and discuss and get some feedback on. But first, guys, why don't we just discuss what a home invasion movie is? Obviously, this is a subgenre, subgenre of horror, and it's one that's seen a remarkable resurgence in the last five, ten years. Seems like there are more and more and more of these movies being made. So, when you think of home invasion, Scott, we'll start with you. Is there anything in particular? Um, that, that you think of, and you, you know, you're going to see this, you're going to see this, you're going to see this, or is it as simple as someone is, you know, coming into your home to kill you? I mean, is that really all, all it takes, or what do you think of when you think of a home invasion movie? Uh, well, I think, you know, it's, it, this is one of those subgenres that's great because the name of the subgenre is pretty clear as mm-hmm. to what the subgenre really is. And this, this is, it is a simple concept in my opinion. It's just a matter of, uh, you, you know, your home is your sanctuary and that idea that someone would, would invade your home in order to harm you or your family. And one of the movies that always comes to my mind, and it's not usually thought of as a, as a horror movie is the panic room. If you remember that one, I don't know if, if you guys saw that movie with I think it was Jodie Foster yeah. um, was was in that one, and uh, you know that one's not usually thought of as a home or as a horror film, but I think it I think that's a great uh, uh, you know uh, prototype of what a good ho- in home invasion horror movie is all about. What about you, Danny? Oh yeah, I think Scott's right on there, and I think the. Uh, appeal of the thing is is pretty obvious also not just not just the description of it of the genre but the, you know the home is your your place of safety right it's uh, your it's your castle it's where you can go to protect yourself from the outside and when you bring that threat inside the house it takes away that last you know wall of safety that we have surrounding us and i, I think 
that's the reason there's so many of these things is that's a very effective and scary concept for a lot of people. Yeah, everybody can relate to it because everybody has a home. Uh, well, most folks have a home. I wish everybody had a home, but yeah, it's, it's very relatable. We know what that feels like when that safety and that private space is compromised, and that's a terrifying thing. But you know, I went to the Wikipedia page for the list of home invasion movies just to see what they had there, and there were a few home invasion movies that were listed that I was kind of scratching my head thinking, um, I'm going to have to get the guys to explain this to me because apparently I'm not smart enough to understand how this is a home invasion movie. So, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Yeah, I don't get that one either. I've actually got that list in front of me on my phone. Uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't. Home invasion. No, I mean, I suppose in the strictest, most literal way, uh, you have a an alien in your home, but uh, it, that seems like a strange thing to put in such a list. Well, and that's why I asked the question as I did. I mean, I think all of us here would probably say that a home invasion movie in some ways is going to need to be some kind of threat involved to mm-hmm. someone inside their home, you know. And I, I'm not really sure how E.T., uh, you know, what, what's going on there. Then there was another one here, and I have um, I've missed it. I've, I can't find it now. Oh, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, 1976. I've seen that movie three or four times, and I, I don't really understand that at all. Now, there are some people killed inside their homes by the masked murderer, you know, but the, the movie takes place over the whole town. There's just as many, if not, there's more outside shots than there are home shots. Well, so, yeah, and if you're going to count something like that, you might as well count Halloween, right? Cause, that, exactly. That's that's my point. So at this mm-hmm. point, why isn't just virtually every slasher movie considered a home invasion movie if that's the principle we're going to go with? Because usually a home comes into play, you know, when you're talking about. So I'm not sure what exactly their criteria is for Wikipedia. It looks like films that have any kind of home invasion element because you've got Clockwork Orange, which, you know, clearly has a couple of home invasion scenes in it but isn't a home invasion movie um so what's missing do you think what what separates a halloween from a home invasion movie well i when i think of home invasions i i have a diehard approach to it you know when you think about diehard the whole movie takes place in nakatomi plaza period that's it when when i think of home invasion i usually think the setting that 99 percent of the film is going to be um focused on is the home and that's primarily what we're going to see when i think of halloween i think of haddonfield i think of smith's grove i think of the sanitarium i think of the bigger picture of pure evil and the story of michael myers and the backstory and loomis and the antagonist a lot of different elements in play in a movie like halloween whereas and one thing i was going to bring up in home invasion it seems that the backstory the motive lots of times these things are left unknown all we know there's a bad guy and there's people in their house and that's the story very very simple but I, what do you think scott well what might set them apart yeah i th- i mean i'm looking at the same wikipedia list and you know I, I see home alone on there they're not they're obviously not looking at scary movies uh exclusively um so I mean, to me, a home invasion. I mean, it's you're being invaded. You know, it's 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 you're being violated. 
Um, that's that's what I think. And you can do one of the things. I'm not a big gore hound, and one of the things I like about a lot of these home invasion movies is they don't have to have a lot of that to be really scary. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think and the one we're going to discuss today is kind of mm-hmm. points to that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if it this is going to make sense, but in my mind, a home invasion film also, you said that, you know, the home is the primary setting, mm-hmm. but I think in home invasion movies, the home is also often a character mm-hmm. like the, you know, the design of the home becomes important. The objects that the person has laying around their home in their normal everyday life become, and it ends up having the homes have a personality that doesn't necessarily come through in other horror films. Yeah, that's good. Although I could turn back and say, you know, the Myers house certainly has a personality, and uh, as does Laurie Strode. But no, I agree with you with that. Well, why don't we talk about the one that we uh, have all three seen recently? I've seen it as recently as today, and that is the 2016 film called Hush. It's directed by Mike Flanagan and uh, stars Kate Siegel, uh, who does, I think, just a beautiful job in the film. Would one of you like to provide just a very general synopsis of the movie so that we can kind of get it out there and then talk about it? Either one of you want to do that? Go ahead, Danny. Okay, sure. I'll do it. Uh, uh, Like I said, Kate Siegel plays a a young woman who is a thriller author uh, who, because of uh, illness in her childhood, is a deaf mute. So the real twist here from the normal home invasion uh, is that it is it is that playing with sound the ideal that you know she can't hear or talk you know make her fear known through her voice um, she uh, pretty early in the film uh, there's a guy shows up at the house he's got a crossbow and he's trying to kill her and that's basically the plot so the rest of the movie is the cat and mouse between the killer and the the young woman and it's I, I I found it incredibly effective. If I go ahead and jump in with some opinion. Yeah, so let's let's do that then. And I'm assuming you know we'll just go ahead and say spoiler alert here. I, I think it's pretty obvious we're going to have to get into some details if we're really going to flesh out the film and whatnot. But uh, just just general, um, you know, feeling about the about the movie. What did you think? Um, just a, you know, just a, a couple of sentences. So Danny, you you kind of started there. What? What did you think about the movie? I thought it was exceptionally well performed. The pacing was just spot on. The uh, acting with uh, the killer was—I mean, the, all the performances were good, but the killer was a different kind of home invasion guy. And you know, we're expecting the stoic, emotionless, faceless killers from these home invasion films, and. He was something else. Actually, there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk about there later. Um, the sound design was amazing. The you know taking advantage of the the, the setup they had, they they really drove home her living in that silent world. Um, in, in general, just really liked it a lot more than I expected to because I had not been a big fan of uh, Flanagan's earlier films. What about you, Scott? Yeah, I, I I thought it was a great movie. I enjoyed it. Um, it's uh, I like the the uh, premise that she's that she's deaf. There's really not much dialogue in this movie. I mean, you know, conversation is not a part of this um, necessarily. And 
uh, and and for some reason that kind of heightened the the spookiness. What was that movie um, where the yeah, um, oh gosh, uh, the the older film where the the woman who's blind and she's and and she's got a a, a criminal inside the house. Oh, I can't think of it. Right Don't now. look now. Yeah, something like that. Um, I'll find it here in a second. Maybe that's it. But um, you know, something about you know not having access to one of your major one of your senses um, is a little disorienting and 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 put, and makes it a little scarier. I think. And it's a common trope, obviously, in horror. They've got you know mute witness and like I said, uh, if that's don't look now or whatever that one was called. Oh, wait uh, until dark. Wait until dark. I'm oh, sorry, Audrey dark. Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. Like, I think there's a Julie Christie one with. With Donald Sutherland called "Don't Look Now" that has a similar plot, maybe I may be mixing those films up. Uh, regardless, that you know the blindness, the uh, deaf, you know the loss of senses is a common horror trope, but I think it's done really, really well here. Yeah, I mean, even something like The Village, I, I thought you know whatever her oh, name right, was, right. I thought that was a really uh, effective way of using the Howard blindness. Bryce Howard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I loved it too. I thought it was a great movie. Uh, there's a few things that I've written down that, you know, I, I want to discuss, and you've guys got some things that you want to discuss. But there were there were two scenes in particular that, well, really one in particular that really was one of the most um, intense movie scenes that I have seen in a long, long time. And it didn't involve gore. It didn't involve any kind of punishing visual or anything like that. It was just incredibly so I'll get to that in a minute. But, but first, let's just start. Let's kind of just start from the, maybe the beginning and work our way down about things we like, things that we were concerned about, didn't like. Uh, one of the first things I noticed in the movie was the way that they used sound. Uh, something Danny, you just mentioned mm-hmm. a moment ago. So she's cooking. Um, you can hear really crisp, uh, the just just the beautiful sounds of her cooking. The the, the the asparagus in the frying pan and her chopping and her cutting. But then over the course of her making dinner, it, it, it begins to diminish. And as almost without even really being cognizant of what happened, when it begins to focus more on her, the sound begins to really pull back until you can't hear anything at all. Except almost just maybe like a, a, a hum or something. Maybe it's the, the score. I'm not sure. But did you all notice that in the first, in the first scene when she's cooking like that? Oh, yeah, and I actually immediately thought Hunt for Red October. Yes! The, the clever way they went from Russian to English and that. And I was like, this is, uh, yeah, that's one of the sound design things I was talking about. I thought it was really, really neat. Yeah, I noticed it. I mean, I, I, I noticed it as well. I thought that, you know, as, as you guys have been saying, the sound design is one of the great features of this movie. And it doesn't limit, it doesn't stop there. Throughout the movie, it seems mm-hmm. like it just kind of continues to go in and come back out almost sometimes without any necessarily any pattern or, or any rhyme or reason it seems that sometimes we, we get to experience kind of what she's experiencing and then the film will come right back and let us hear what's going on in the room or what's happening with uh, the intruder or whatnot and that kind of going in and out just continued to keep us on edge you know and make the tension uh, a little a little more intense at least it it, it, it gave us an audio version of the 
point of view shot. You know, you cut to the person that's falling down. They've got you know, you shoot with an oblique angle because they're turned to their side. The audio does that for us, and it's a. I, I don't actually know too many films that have done that, and certainly I can't think of any horror film that has played with sound that cleverly. Yeah. So her friend comes up. Sarah uh, shows up. They're talking. It's a you know it's a wonderful little conversation. Everybody's feeling good about themselves. And then the fire alarm goes off. And at this point, anyone who has ever watched a horror movie before knows that bad boy is coming back into play at the end of this movie. <laughs> so my question to you is: Was it too obvious? Does that hurt the film, or do we not care that we know oh, that's no. going to play? No, that's on my list of the great things in the, the great movie. The great things, okay. Yeah, because they, they, she said it right on the counter, and we see it the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. She's running through the house. She grabs a knife. I'm thinking, grab that thing. And <laughs> you know it's, it, it, it builds a tension where you know that's going to come into play, and you're just waiting for the scene that it finally does. And you know, the payoff is pretty good with it, actually. Yeah. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, it, does, it didn't bother me. I, I you know – it, it's always kind of nice to have some of these uh, foreshadowing. I think that was is a common horror trope, but it, it seemed to work fine. No, yeah. Nobody was watching the film and not noticing that clearly. But no, but, no. but I do, I do like instead of keeping it off screen, and you know, and then you know, bringing it back and acting like it was a big surprise. It was just, it was just right there. I mean, they showed it thirty times in the movie. Yeah, and to a lesser degree, the corkscrew. Also, of course, she opens up the wand with the corkscrew. And whatnot. It, it wasn't as prominent, like you said, Donnie, um, as the as the fire alarm was. But nevertheless, it, it didn't bug me either. But it was just one of those things. If the movie wasn't as good as it was, then it could have been really lame, you know, at the end for it to for it to come back to full circle. But because it was so great, it, it didn't bug me at all. Um, okay, I I wanted to and whenever y'all want to jump in with your own questions or thoughts, please do. I just I'm just going down my list here. When they return with Sarah, when when you know he's stalking Sarah and she gets to the kitchen door, boom, 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 she can't get in. Just horrific, you know. He shows up behind her. I don't know why, guys. Um, all of us, between the three of us, who knows how many horror movies we've seen? Slasher is my favorite genre, so I have seen a lot of killings with a knife. But for some reason, this this murder. Of him stabbing her repeatedly in the gut, I, I almost had to look away. It became so intense to me. Did it either, did it to either of you? I thought it was effective, certainly. I mean, I don't know if it was uh, if I noticed it as extra effective from some another violent killing, but uh, yeah, that sort of the last time the slides it in there and it's like it's like he's almost reached all the way up into her chest cavity with it. It's God, that's just brutal. It's it's scary. Yeah, I, I guess you know the sound was was just so prominent of of him piercing and, and slicing and stabbing. You can almost see his expression even through the mask. Uh, something that he was just really enjoying doing this, and I, I, I guess it was just the repetitive nature of it. And she just would, she just kept every time he did it. There was a there was another gasp, another moan, and I just found it to be. Really, really troubling, actually. Is it just just die already, please? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, so, so it disturbed you. It's, yeah, I did. Well, I just it, it was at that moment in the film where I thought, man, this this movie 
is going to be good. Like, there's really potential mm-hmm. for this movie to capture me and, and keep me engrossed uh, in the film. Now, let me ask you this. At this point, he does not know she's deaf. And right. he doesn't care. He's, he's just going crazy with this girl against that kitchen door, and, and he doesn't care. Is, is he expecting her to turn around? Does he not? Is he just assuming, well, if she does, I'm just going to kill her right here so he's not scared about being caught or anything else? Did, did that cross your all's mind? I thought it was kind of funny that he didn't um, seem to notice her. I mean, that seemed a little off to me a little bit uh, that he when you know when he's he's killing her friend right against the glass door and and she's in the room and um i i, I don't know i thought that seemed a little bit unrealistic but it you know it, it didn't deviate from my enjoyment of the film it seems unrealistic in retrospect but i guess at the time we don't mm. actually know that he's not there specifically for her true like true. he may we don't know that he doesn't already know her from her books he's a crazed fan or anything at that point we don't you're right uh, and even with the mask, you could tell how excited the guy was when he figured out she was deaf. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, this is going to make this one interesting. So did you – I mean, is he just on a killing rampage? I mean, because he, he's killing the neighbor, and on, the only reason he comes across our protagonist is because he's chasing the neighbor there. Um, in, do we know – I mean, I don't remember. I saw this a couple weeks ago, but do, do we know as to why he was – he has no motive. No. Just to kill. No. Yeah. No, and that's something I mentioned earlier. A lot of the home invasion movies I've seen follow kind of a similar pattern of motive is sometimes very secondary. And even if, if one is given, it doesn't really matter. I think it was maybe The Strangers um, where mm, yeah, right. somebody actually asks why. why, And uh, the response was something like because you were home or something like that. Remember? Like it, it doesn't matter why. The, the, yeah, and the, I think that's pretty common. But – is it which I haven't? I mean, I've seen a number of home invasion films, but I'm not saying this is all of them. Uh, but I thought he was an odd killer for home invasion because he wasn't completely, um, he wasn't dead eyed and emotionless. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't the killer of so many of other of those films. And you know, he takes the mask off. He's very playful with the killing. He comes off as maybe a little more evil than. Even those dead-eyed killers from the the other movies, like he's enjoying that, this process. Oh yeah, and I thought that that piece where he takes off his mask was particularly chilling. Oh yeah, isn't, isn't she trying to say, "Look, I haven't seen your face. Don't you know? I won't tell anybody." Um, and uh, and so he intentionally takes off his mask so that she will see his face. Yeah, and leaves it off. So <laughs> even in the, the images, the posters and everything, we see the mask, and we're used to seeing those kinds of emotionless masks in home invasion movies. So I thought it was really effective for the majority of this movie. He doesn't have a mask, and I, I really liked that a lot. Taking pictures of her, even seconds, you know, right. I, I really liked that he took a picture of her reacting to the fact that she was now noticing... <laughs> He just took pictures of me, you know, three minutes ago. But then she sees one <laughs> from three seconds ago. That was, that was she's looking at the three-minute picture. Yeah, That's that, right. That was a great scene. <laughs> mm-hmm. Really beautifully done. But that then leads me to this. You know, I'm, 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 I always try to play devil's advocate here so that we can, you know, 
I don't think this is really that big of a deal, but it, it was a big enough deal where I noticed it. So she looks to the left. The door's open. He just took a photo of her from that location. Um, really drew this out. I mean, she stares for 20 seconds before she even gets up and goes over there and sees, you know, maybe in shock a little bit. But when she gets to the door, he intentionally is 10 feet back from the door, giving her enough time to shut it. Now, he's going to say later, once we get into the dialogue, I can come in anytime I want, but I don't want to yet. I'm going to let you, which, so you can say that's the answer. He's not ready to get in yet. Fine. But then why does he rush the door? Why does he try to beat her to close the door? And then why does he try to beat her when she goes over to the kitchen door to lock it? And I, I think the way you're going to respond is, well, he's just having fun. He's just, this is just – it just increases the tension for her and the, and the fear and, and the fear for us and everything else. But um, – and maybe that's the answer. I don't know. But if he's not interested in coming in, well, why rush to try and beat her to close the door? If he is going to try to get in, why is he standing 15 feet back from the door after he had just taken a picture of her? Any thoughts on that? What does he say? He says, I'm not coming in until you're ready to die. So maybe this is just part of prepping her, getting her as scared as possible and trying to make the world as hopeless and scary as possible for her. But I also noticed that that he he also kind of blinked there like – like I'm not sure the timing works a couple of times in those early scenes. Like he ends up behind her at a time, and I'm not sure how he got there. But uh, but again, that didn't bother me. That was a, that's a minor error there or a minor problem. Yeah, I I, I love minor problems. I dwell. On <laughs> <things>. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you notice that at all, Scott? That that bugged no, you? No, I, I I no, it didn't bug me. No. Um, the, uh, yeah, I, I, I got nothing. The uh, thing uh, I wanted, I think, it's interesting about the film uh, that comes right there is how they handled the big problem for modern horror film, which is the cell phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. the, the constant communication that is available to people, uh, and I thought they did it really well here. Just you know, get all the cell phones out of her hand, put them just out of her reach, get them in the back pocket of a corpse yeah, and uh, I thought the, the way they played with that uh, which is a re- I mean it's an honest problem for modern horror films how do you even set up a lot of situations when a phone call would fix your problem right yes. uh, I thought they handled it really well and, and we're all self aware of that problem and this house is in the woods right if yeah. I remember correctly this is a real isolated yeah so you're always you're always thinking why don't they just call somebody but yeah it actually this movie actually does address that that's that's interesting and it's uh, and it's always seriously you have no signal there's not that many places in the world without a without a signal anymore, so but the way that here's a lot more believable mm-hmm well, what about Craig? Uh, apparently, an old boyfriend she had broken up with. She almost has a conversation with him, but then doesn't. Um, as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, of course, Craig is going to be the one that shows up and uh, tries to save the day. But nope, we never hear another thing about him. <laughs> so, <No. laughs> any, you know, was that even necessary? Did he just add a little bit of time to the film, try to create some kind of character for Maddie, or what was the purpose of Craig? 
Actually, I think there isn't one. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say that it seems like it was setting up something that it didn't pay off. Um, so I guess you know you could say it was fleshing out her character or whatever. But that's probably one of the weakest elements is that little exchange being in there. Unless we just needed time, you know, to settle into liking her or whatever, that makes us a little closer to her. We know a little more about her. But um, that actually, I had that in my notes that what happened to that guy. Yeah, I know it's funny when when she was cooking back to the very first scene, the first few seconds of the film when she was cooking. There was one time when she was doing something that she kind of lifts up, and the camera follows her in such a way. Again, it's just when you've seen so many horror movies where you're you're almost anticipating someone being behind her. Once you know you know how the camera follows a character in or in such a way where it keeps something out of sight until boom, you're right there at it. And the thought went through my mind, how cool would this be if we have no build-up at all? I mean, 30 seconds into the film, bam, there the guy is. I, I think that could be actually kind of cool without developing the character at all. Obviously, it didn't happen that way. So, yeah, I think it was just a time, uh, an opportunity for us to get to know her a little more. That, that would have been an amazing start, uh, but you have to say that Home in general, home invasion films seem to be of all the horror subgenres, and it's very popular. There's a lot of these films; they seem to be the most innovative. Like, I keep seeing home invasion movies that keep doing things that surprise me. So, if it had been there 30 seconds after it started, and, and here we start chase, the chase, it wouldn't have surprised me that much. They, they simply. It's amazing to me how many directors have been doing these home invasion films and finding just some twist to make them interesting still. They should already be old. Yeah. Well, who is who is the guy? Remind me, who is the guy that finally comes to... There is someone that, that you think might rescue her. It's the husband. Is it the, of the, it's the husband of the neighbor, that's right. The dead okay. friend, yeah. Mm. Yeah, who could have beaten him to a pulp. Oh, yeah, that seems mm-hmm. really good. That uh, mm-hmm. That fight scene between them and uh, and that, again, that's a that's kind of a surprising scene, and that that killer becomes even more interesting in that scene because he because he he portrays he acts like he's a policeman. Yeah, and he he's, he seems more human than these killers mm-hmm. usually seem in that scene. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the scene I was talking about earlier. Just to jump to there, to, that I thought was the most tense scene of the movie, and one of the most. This nail-biting kind of white-knuckle scenes that I've seen in a long, long time was the conversation they had, which seemed like an eternity. Just the longest conversation between the killer and and John. Um, he does what all of us would do, of course. Here comes a flash. The, the guy's holding it just like a cop would with a gun, you know, up to his face. You know, get down mm-hmm. on your knees. He, of course, does that. But then it just keeps going on and on and on. He's asking questions. Well, how did, did you know? Did you? How, how did the call come in? Well, she's deaf, so I don't. How did, I don't think she would have been. She's mute. She can't talk. She can't call the phone. It just keeps going on and on. And I'm just. I'm just thinking, holy crap, man! You know, the guy's gonna, gonna punch him. He's gonna. What's gonna happen here? And just when you think that, oh, this might not go the way we thought it was gonna go. The guy's gonna get the other upper hand on the killer. Maddie comes to save the day. But she actually ruins the day. I thought that was a brilliant yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah. The the, the you're exactly right. Best scene in the movie, and 
and a scene again that makes me think this director is really skilled and I didn't come into this film thinking he was really skilled because you know he made Oculus which was probably my biggest horror disappointment of the year it came out I was super excited about the movie because of the cast and the plot and it was almost unwatchable uh, I think we've actually I think I might have reviewed it for the site actually I don't know what I gave it but I did not like it I don't know what I said about it but I didn't like it and I think maybe we've mentioned it on the show before um I went into this not really having high hopes, and I, I think it has such great little horror touches in this that I'm super excited about his next film, which is a Stephen King adaptation. Oh, which, which, which one? Yeah, he's he's doing Gerald's Game, the one where yeah. the woman is left uh, handcuffed to the bed when her husband has a heart attack and dies during a sex game. Yeah, remember that? It's, I haven't read it, but yeah, it's where early nineties, maybe late eighties. Okay, so um, yeah, so that scene was just was just unbelievable. Now, her first escape attempt. What was going on there? I mean, that was really bad, you know. And it, it almost seems like she. You remember when she starts talking to herself, and it almost almost giving like a pep talk, really neatly done, where you see her. This is the writer. They'd foreshadowed this a little bit. She said she has a writer's mind and it talks to her. She hears voices and everything. And then those voices mm-hmm. start telling her, you can't run because this is going to happen. You can't hide because you're going to bleed out and all this kind of stuff. But the first escape attempt, it's almost as if the voice had not yet kicked in. Because it was unbelievably lame. I mean, she she runs out. He sees her. She's got to get back in. I mean, it was just like – it was really bad. But I almost feel like that was intentional in order to build up to the fact that she finally gets into her element and she starts thinking clearly as to what she has to do in order to survive the ordeal. Either one of you noticed that? Hmm. No? (laughs) Okay. uh, Think of what you're dealing with here as a director. You've got one character. This is not a Tin Little Indian horror movie where you can, you know, or even you know, normal home invasion where you've got a family to slowly torture in front of the other family members and eventually kill. Uh, it, she's got, so she has to grow from or, or you know, change from the helpless victim to become the you know, final girl. Mm-hmm. It, but she's the final girl from the beginning, right? So maybe that lame escape attempt and how just she doesn't seem like there's a possibility she's going to figure out a way out of this situation for a good 30 minutes of the movie. Uh, but eventually you see the strength in her. So I, I think they, they needed that with their economy of characters. They needed to have that change happen. Yeah, so but that, that in and of itself is a trope that I think can be uh, overused, which is at some point there, a switch goes off and the victim becomes the aggressor. Come on in here, just kill me, you know, and I'm going to take you on. I, we see that happen so often. You know it's coming, but it was done really well. In this. It is a common trope, but it's usually a, the the uh, the fight instead of uh, flight. It usually kicks in after ten people have been killed in front of them, right? They that they're done with. And actually, I think at that pace, they're usually a little hopeless, too, that it's this false bravado where there's just bring it on. Let's just get this over with. Um, And I guess that's kind of what it is here, but it does feel different to me, maybe just because it's well acted and like it's well directed and all the surrounding stuff is good. I'm willing to uh, ignore a common trope. 
Um, then she get, she goes up on the roof and she's walking. Yeah. And again, I'm thinking, what's with the roof? I mean, because it, it almost looks like she's getting on the roof to get off the roof. So if you're going to get off the roof, just walk out the door. Like I didn't understand the roof, but but the the shot of the crossbow arrow, her her bending back and that thing missing her by six millimeters, that was unbelievably cool. I mean, that actually got a fist pump out of me. As I was watching it, you remember what I'm talking about? A little, a little Matrix action. Yes. That, that, that was super cool. Oh, yeah. I thought it was unbelievable. That, that uh, where you're talking about why, getting on the roof to get off the roof, isn't that the uh, again kind of tropey uh, uh, horror architecture where they go into a room to get to some other place, but when they leave the place, you're like, oh, you could have just bought that other yeah. door and you would have been, you would have been there. It so. reminded me of Halloween Four. You know, the really effective scene of Laurie and what's her name. On, with the shingles and Myers up there, and they're on the roof, and you know you're like, well, why, why are you on the roof? You know that's not going to do much. But I was glad she was on the roof just to get the shot of the arrow thing <laughs> missing her. <laughs> I thought it was great. Then it was super awesome when she, when she punched him off the trellis, and he, you know, she got the crossbow at that point. I'm thinking the idiot is climbing back up there. Just stay right there. You know, keep doing what you just keep did. Keep doing what you just did. That's right. Yeah. Um, but she feels like, okay, I've got a weapon now. I'm going to get inside, learn how to use it. You know, maybe I'll be able to to, to do something. But yeah, it was good. Um, I felt for her there, man. I'm I'm really bad at cocking a crossbow. I've always sucked at that. <laughs> I, I love crossbows. I own a couple, but no matter how strong I am, I never can quite, my fingers don't quite hold the, the hold it right or something. So I, the whole time I'm going, yeah, that'd be me. I would definitely be killed by this guy. I, I don't think I've ever tried to cock a crossbow. I have, I have used a bow before and, uh, and it is not just so easy. I thought it was actually a really interesting scene when he's standing outside, looking through the bathroom window She's trying to do this. At this point, she's hurt. She's bleeding. And she's trying, and she's trying, and she's trying. She just can't do it. It's very realistic looking. And he just kind of says under his breath, it's, it's not so easy, is it? And mm-hmm. I, I, don't know what, I don't know what about it it was. I just thought, that's a pretty neat little scene. He's watching her. He, he almost has a look like he feels sorry for her. Like, I, I know it's hard to do, and you're probably not going to be able to. And <laughs> it, not, it took it, it took me a while before I was able to do. Yeah, that. yeah, this isn't going to work out for you, you know. Um, and I, I really liked that scene. She comes to her senses. You can't shoot this thing inside. It's meant for long distance. You're going to have to get him in the heart to kill him. Um, and then she tags him, but she just misses the heart. And um, again, I thought that was really well done. You know, you, she was thinking about it. She knows what she has to do. Just injuring him is, is, is not going to work. If anything, it's just going to make him more upset. you got to get him in the heart. And, man, she tries her best, but she, she just misses. And I, I thought that was a, a neat scene as well. I think we buried the lead a little bit, too. What kind of mass murderer uses a crossbow? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, it's unusual. Here, that made him scarier than anything. He, he wasn't walking around with this big... He didn't come with a big giant knife to, to kill her in her house. He came with a crossbow. Yeah. Although he had a big giant small. knife, but... He did have a big giant knife. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, he had, he had the crossbow. Oh, okay, then what about... The, right after the John thing, 
she runs out he 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 catches her takes like what looks like a some kind of big rock or mini tombstone or something and smashes her head in and then she's mm. just laying there dead i don't i maybe you all were immediately like you know this is a dream sequence or she's you know I actually, I thought it really happened. Oh, right, right. I thought she was dead. Yeah, me too. I, and, and I, I didn't, thought, I didn't oh, get the... Oh, my goodness. This is going to go in a whole different direction than I did. No idea. What, you know, I was like, this is really interesting. What's going to happen now? And then, of course, it wasn't the thing. So you didn't think, you thought it was real too, Scott? I did. I, so this was the scene that, that it was a dream sequence. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes, yeah. Well, yeah, no, it, it totally had me, totally had me hoodwinked. That's one that didn't get me. I was waiting on that scene. I, I knew it was coming from the whole author voice, and she always had five endings. Like as soon as that started, oh, I was like, yeah. oh, this, this is this is the fake ending. This is one that didn't work out, and and it turned out. I really actually again, I, this movie really spoke to me. I, uh, I like the author voice, as cheesy as that is. Um, you guys are writers. You, we have that right. Like mm-hmm. I. Con, you know, I feel like I'm insane all the time because there's always this thing in my head telling me it's like I'm talking to myself in my head, right? It's the it's the writer's voice, uh, and often I'll be driving down the road and the story will be playing in my head that I've got to get home and get onto paper. Uh, I, I, that's just something that exists, so it felt real to me, even though other viewers might watch and go, "That's really dumb." Mm. No, I thought I related to it too. I, I mean, I always carry a notebook with me just for that reason, so I can jot down those things, those random thoughts, and those random ideas. Yeah, maybe, maybe that is a little bit of insider language there. If you if you experience that, some it makes a little more sense to you. I'm not quite sure why her writer's voice was her mom. Maybe she just. <laughs> I, I guess that would yeah. be her most prominent voice when she could hear the one she heard the most because. Because my writer voice is me. I, I think I think mm-hmm. it would be weird. I think it'd be weird if it was someone besides. Well, that's me. that's the way I took it. So the last thing she heard, that's why her friend first asked, "Do you hear a thirteen-year-old?" Because that's how old you were when you could last hear. And she says, "No, I hear my mom." So instead of a child's voice, which would have been her voice, she actually hears her mom's voice. That's that's the she way hear, I she hears the voice that she would have heard if she had been able to grow up with a voice. Mm-hmm. That's actually pretty cool. Okay, and then here's my here's my other. This this reminded me of Scream. Actually, there's a couple things that reminded me of Scream. I, in some ways, the first scene of Scream with Drew Barrymore is mm. like the ultimate home invasion in in a minute and a half. You know, uh, it seems like a lot of the tropes, a lot of the visuals we see at home invasion movies, kind of go back to Wes Craven a little bit with Scream. But there was another Scream uh, reference here that I thought. And that is the rules, you know, the rules of Hormer. The guy's always going around talking about the do's and the don'ts. And one of the funny things we always hear about horror movies is, you know, as soon as you've got them right where you want them, run away so that they can recuperate and come back and kill you. And so they're in the, he's in the bathroom. She, beautiful scene of she feels the breath on the back of her neck turns and stabs him right in the leg he's completely incapacitated screaming hurt he drops his knife got him right where he wants him and she runs away i mean at that <laughs> point pick up the knife stab the dude in the neck and it's over you know that that was Ended. that was really the only time where i felt like oh come on man you know you've been so brilliant up to this point this doesn't make any sense 
Yeah, and I don't think that's the only place that that a scene like that happened. But uh, yeah, there were a few times where I'm going, ah. You you have uh, speaking of Wes Craven, by the way, you said a lot of the home invasion stuff goes back to screen. But keep in mind that Last House on the Left was Wes Craven. You know, yeah, yeah, one of my the earliest <laughs> home invasion films that really fit this mode almost exactly. Craven did that, and it's very good. So she didn't. I don't remember. She didn't. It didn't end there in the bathroom when he breathed on her neck. No, no, no that really that, that kicks off the the last uh, act, the final, the final battle. Yeah, where she should have been dead. I mean, it, she she yeah. almost sealed her fate when she left the bathroom. At that point, she she should have died. She was weak and about to pass out because of the blood loss and everything. She does the uh, wasps, you know, spray in his eyes. Which was good. That was good. And then um, he's about to kill her, and that, and that, you know, it's where the fire alarm and then the corkscrew comes into play. Which was a great ending. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad she just didn't pick up the mm-hmm. knife and kill him in the bathroom. It really worked well. But <laughs> nevertheless, that was one of the classic horror. You know, do I go in the closet or do I run out the front door? Oh, I think I'll get in the closet and hide. You know, instead of just. Um, I like the way his eyes. They, they did well with the follow-up of the eye spray because when he's choking her, his eyes look like he's been just maced like crazy. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's my last thing. Here's my last scream and then whatever you guys have. My last kind of scream reference of the, the, the rules of horror movies. So she kills the guy Okay, after this horrendous ordeal. She calls 911. And they're going to track her with GPS or whatever. She goes out side and she sits on her front porch you know what I'm about to say with her back to the dead <laughs> what kind right. of idiot is going to do that especially since she's deaf right? right that was ridiculous I don't care how many times you stabbed him with a corkscrew <laughs> you don't sit with your back to this guy waiting for the cops <laughs> oh, and the cops got there really quickly too for the record the yeah, those lights were flashing in the forest like immediately after she called. Yeah, they might have already been in the area though. He, who knows? He may have scattered sixteen bodies before he made it to her house. Yeah, and then, and there also is, there's the possibility of a time lapse because when she lays the phone down after calling nine one one, she kind of drops the phone. And she's just almost she's just on her back like passed out. The next time we see her, she's standing up already. So there, it's possible that there's a little bit of a lapse of time there, but yeah, there's your advantage from seeing it more recently than we have. Yeah, but I agree mm-hmm. with you. I thought the same thing. That was awfully quick. So that's kind of that was my list of stuff. Did, did you? You said you took some notes too, Dan. Anything on your? I think we end up covering everything. Uh, I, I I am just uh, you know I'm in the middle of teaching this horror class and uh, I kind of can't wait to get to talk about home invasion because I've been. I'm really impressed with how well horror directors, I mean, they're just, they're swimming in tropes, right? And convention and, but they do, so many of the good ones do such a good job of either inverting those tropes or just going full force towards them and making them work. And uh, I still think other genres handle the tropes as well as horror does, but home invasion may be the subgenre that for me is just always, 
when they're good, they just they they do so many different innovative things. And obviously, having a deaf mute doesn't make it innovative, but just everything about the feel, the sound design, the character. The, the economy of characters there's what four actors in this movie or five actors in the movie uh, and everything just works really really well and I didn't know I if I needed another home invasion movie after teaching you know uh, funny games 300 times in film class um, and maybe I liked it so much because it is so different from from funny games which or funny games uh, well, I usually teach the the original. The original one. I don't. I don't believe they're uh, different enough to really for that to matter. Same director, almost scene for scene, the same film. Um, uh, but it, you know, this film didn't have that the soullessness of what was the one we did last? Uh, good night, mama. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, the good. Uh, the, which always reminded me of funny games. That's not a home invasion movie, but. Uh, mm-hmm. It's one of those movies where the home is the character, also, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and and this, you know the strangers and all. As you go back, this one just you know had a different tone, a different feel. It had a little bit more of a slasher feel, um, but I just like having that one central character. You get everyone else out of the way early, and it just becomes that cat and mouse for the whole thing. So, uh, complete thumbs up for me. Uh, it's one of the few that I was immediately thinking, I think I'll watch that again soon. Instead of moving on to the 700 other horror movies I need to watch in the next month. Well, it's a thumbs up for me, too. I really liked it a lot. I don't know if I'll watch it again anytime soon, but it it was good. Yeah, I'd give it a thumbs up. I I don't know if it's on my uh, rewatch list right away, but but I'm I'm chomping at the bit because I just saw another one, a home invasion picture that you guys got to see. Tell us about it. (laughs) <laughs> you ready? Come ready? Let's just let's just move right into that. Yeah. One. Uh, you guys got to see this movie called Don't Breathe. Uh, have you read much about it? The only thing I've read is since you told me about it, I just did a quick look to you know see who directed it and what the general mm-hmm. the general plot was. Mm-hmm. But that's all I know. Nope, I don't know anything. Yeah, and I was yeah. I, I had seen the trailers and stuff and was super excited, but just did not make it to a theater to see it. It's. Uh, I just watched it last night. I'd seen. Uh, I watched Hush a couple of weeks ago, but I just, you know, I had seen the preview for this movie called Don't Breathe. And my son, who's a college student in Ohio, told me, "Oh, you, you know, he recommended it." So I just rented it uh, on video on demand last night and watched it. And uh, I think it's got to be one of my favorite movies that I've seen in in the last maybe six months or so. It's a 2006 film. I don't know anything about the director. Um, or you know the writers and and only one of the actors was familiar to me. This actor named Stephen Lang, whom I've seen in uh, somewhere. I don't actually know where else I've seen him, but he was kind of the main guy. And it's very similar to Hush in some ways because you've got a protagonist or you've got one of the main characters who's since deprived. Only this one, this time, the man in the house, the 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 person who lives alone in a house. He doesn't live in the woods, but he lives in Detroit in a neighborhood that's been completely decimated. And by which I mean, there's nobody living anywhere in any of the houses on the street or on the block. And the guy by, by, is a. By which you mean it was it's Detroit. <laughs> by which I mean it's Detroit exactly. <laughs> and uh, but he's 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 blind, and all you he's not actually the one you follow. The the, the film follows the home invaders. 
It starts with them, and they're invading. It's, it's these teenagers. I don't want to give away too much, but it's these teenagers that um, are breaking into homes to raise a little money, uh, or to you know, to, just to to get money and Rolex watches and whatever else they can find. But they think they finally found the big score, and it's going to be this guy that he has a. They think he has a treasure hidden away because of a court settlement that he'd won that they heard that they'd read about, and. Um, and so they plot to to break into his house to rob him, and they find out he's blind, and they think this is going to be a cakewalk. But everything turns upside down once you start. Once they get in, once they start to uh, try to try to locate the money, um, he's blind. But he is, and you know, it's one of those films where the. There are so many surprises in this movie. It's one of those films where the people that you think are good are really bad, and the pe- the victims are really the villains. Um, this is a must-see for you guys. So, does well, you don't want to give away spoilers. Like I was going to say, does, does, well, I'll does tiptoe around them. End up, you know, he's not as helpless as he might seem or something like that. Yeah. He's a, he's like a Gulf war uh, vet. He's, he's a military guy. Um, they get into the house. They, they're right at the brink of being able to uh, make away with the money. And it's, it's, it's well written, well acted. The, there's three intruders and they look like they're, they're just out of high school, you know, and you know a little bit about them. You know a little bit of their backstory. There's a girl and two guys. And her name is Rocky. And she dreams of moving away to California. She lives with a drunk mother. Her mother's a drunk. And is, is they live in a, in a trailer home. And, and um, she's got one man after another and so forth. And so you kind of get to know Rocky a little bit, the girl. And, they, and, and the two guys both kind of like her. And when they invade the home, they think this is going to be a cakewalk. But the guy who's blind is not so helpless. He's able to turn the tables. Um, there's two or th- I would say there's at least three times where I literally said, oh, I, uh, you know, I felt like a gut punch. Mm. There were two or three times in this movie where I was surprised. And I don't just mean by jump scares. There were a couple of those. But I was really surprised at the twists at two or three or four times in this movie, um, all the way to the all the way to the bitter end. That's cool. Uh, I have a question that's not going to involve spoilers. One of the things that uh, I had read from people who are not as big of fans of the film is the main reason these people haven't liked it is they thought the uh, the characters were unlocked that everybody in the film was unlockable. Did you find that about the home invaders? Did did or did you actually have some kind of sympathy for them? Well, there's yeah, I mean they're home invaders, so they're they're bad guys, okay. But um, I, I think I mean I definitely felt sympathy for Rocky uh, because, like I said, she you get to know just a little bit at the beginning of some of her home life. She you don't know. I mean, she's probably. 20 years old and she lives at home her mother is you know one man after another and uh and you know she's always drinking and and rocky has a little sister like a 10 year old girl and they dream of going to california just escaping detroit and and uh and you know they're very depressing home environment and 
one of the male characters, one of the male intruders, is a very unlikable guy. He is a real bad guy. But the other guy, he's just going along because he he really likes Rocky and he wants to protect Rocky. And he's just he's the genuinely good guy in this. And he's trying to, I mean, you know, as far as a home invader can be a genuinely good <laughs> good guy. Uh, but yeah, when you know, I mean, the movie wants you to think that the victim is going to be the good guy because usually it is like with the movie we just talked about hush she was she was innocent she was the victim um but uh, she she prevailed well this movie doesn't uh, it, it really it really throws you for a loop in more than more than one occasion partly because the the blind guy who whom they're invading uh is not so helpless and is really not such an innocent party and, I don't want to give away too many too many of the plot details, right? I think, and you know, flipping the uh, situation like that, it probably made it uh, you're real real hard to intuitively have that idea of how it was going to end. I mean, things could could go really bad, and it would still be a fair ending. Oh, you know, it had a it had a dramatic ending. Um, it. it I, there, there's one. There's at least one place in particular that uh, you know it just took the breath out of me. The way they changed the changed the dynamics of the whole film, introducing a new character. Uh, I'll, I won't say more than that. Yeah, you gotta. You guys gotta see it. I think it's one of the. Uh, I mean, of the horror. I mean, I love funny games, and and I love you know some of the movies we talked about, and I really enjoyed Hush, but this one I I think st- stood a, a couple steps above it. Wow. Just for me, it did. We'll do it then. We'll take a look. We'll take a look and see. Maybe we can come back and revisit it on another podcast and talk more about sure. it. Sure. Cool. Hey, have either of you guys seen um, the invitation yet? You talked I did. about it. I don't think I. Yeah, I I did. You know, we were going to prep it for the podcast that fell apart, and I haven't got around to watch it yet. It's high on my list. It's you know, it's on a lot of people's list of the ten best horror films of last year. So, um, I was going to ask that same a similar question. Is a uh, uh, it might be interesting for the listeners to hear. Are there films that that are on the horizon for you that you you're planning on watching soon that you're excited about? Horror films, obviously. Well, there's been a couple that Scott you have mentioned. Uh, the Invitation is one of them. I'm actually trying to remember if I watched the stupid thing. <laughs> My mind is. If you, 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 the invitation. Yeah. It's on. It's on Netflix. I'm it's on Netflix sure it's on now. Netflix. I, I video on demanded it and let the 24 hour rental run out without watching it back in the day. But, uh, I'll go ahead and start. Uh, Mike yeah. Flanagan, who did Hush, like I said, he did Oculus. And I wasn't happy with. So I was doing a little research and uh, remember that he had made Absentia. Have y'all seen that movie? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. The, the woman's husband had died or went missing and. Her sister moves in with her, and they're trying to get the paperwork done to have him declared dead. And yeah, there's that yeah. tu- there's a tunnel near their house. Yes, I thought it was called the tunnel. It's called Absentia. Yeah, it, yeah, okay. Absentia. Yeah, I, I feel like maybe we've talked about that movie. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I was like, hey, I like that one too. So that's two movies of his I like. So I started looking, and he made that Ouija board movie from last year. Mm. And it looked terrible in trailers, but when you go look at the reviews, it got great reviews, and it has a super high IMDb rating, so I think and it's on video on demand right now. It's on on Dish Network, so I think actually when I go home tonight, I'm either going to watch that or Don't Breathe now that you've got me excited about Don't Breathe. But that's definitely the other. Don't Breathe and Ouija are probably the ones on my list. 
Was that it was the Ouija movie? Is that like a sequel to another Ouija movie? No, it's just it's uh, it's it the original first movie. It's called Ouija Origin of Evil. It just oh, okay. it came out. This, it came out this Halloween. Okay. Uh, yeah, I remember seeing it. I didn't see it in the theater, but I had no interest in in watching it until you know again Hush was so good and and like I, said, I think it's an eight point one on IMDb or something like something ridiculous uh, high for a horror movie. Um, so I thought I'd give it a try. Well, I yeah. Philip, have you seen? Have you got anything on the horizon? No, I saw a movie um, called The Exorcism of Molly Hartley. And um, hmm. I, I typically enjoy exorcism movies for various reasons. Um, the Exorcism of Emily Rose, I think, is one of the best exorcism movies I've ever seen. I don't know if these are related or not, if it's a follow-up. It, it has a similar phrasing in terms of the film, uh, the, the movie title. But um, I just saw that on, on Netflix and was interested in it. Have either of you heard of it or seen it? I, I've seen the title but haven't watched it. Um, uh, yeah, I, I haven't even seen that. I didn't know it existed, uh, but it does remind me. Uh, we'd probably re- remiss not to mention that William Peter Blatty passed away uh, mm. since we recorded last. And uh, while I was uh, looking into, you know, reading some histories of him and stuff, I found that there is a 2016 Blu-ray director's cut of Exorcist Three, mm. uh, which I think Exorcist Three is maybe the most underrated of all horror films. I, I think it's a phenomenal movie. Uh, and the director's cut uh, appears to be even better than the version I've seen. So I, I've got that on order. I'm real excited about it coming in. Great. Cool. Yeah, that, I'm looking forward to the next alien installment. Have you guys heard about that one? Yeah. It's a it's a sequel to the um, to the last one that was uh, a prequel, <laughs> uh, Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Right, I think great. was the one was which great. I loved. Yeah, 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 I thought that was awesome. Well, there's another one. There's Alien Covenant. I think is the name of it. And it's supposed to come out, or did it already come out? No, 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 no. no. I think it's just announced. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've. I mean, I. I since I loved Prometheus, I'm really excited about Covenant. Now, is this one sliding more back towards horror from the sci-fi? Of- I don't. I I don't know. I just love the whole series. Yeah, I do too. I'm Me a big Ridley Scott fan. Mm-hmm. I just no, no doubt. Okay, well, anything else tonight? I think that's probably going to do it. So this is fun. It's good to be back with all three of us talking about horror movies. And uh, until next time, check out the website, read some reviews. Hope to have some new reviews posted. And um, soon. And until then, this is Philip along with Scott and Danny saying goodbye. Stay scared, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Take care. See you guys.